Welcome to No BS Engineering, the podcast for developers around the world who care about their careers. Join us as we share ideas, war stories, and talk with special guests about how developers can up their game and move their career forward. Welcome to another episode of No BS Engineering. My name is Cal Evans and my partner is Mario Pessier. Say hi to everybody, Mario. Hey, everybody. Now, today we have a great topic. Yes, you've got to pay your dues, but that doesn't mean you have to live in a bad situation or an abusive boss. And I'm going to start this off like I do a lot of things with the story. I've got, I've got a, a fun story. Uh, well, not a fun story. It wasn't, um, wasn't that much fun. Um, my first programming job was actually working for my parents. Um, that's, I, I spent 12 years working for my parents' company, and I was the computer guy. And quite literally, I did everything from pull cable to build PCs. We, we couldn't buy PCs. We had to build our own. And I built 13 or 14 PCs. And, but I learned to do a lot of things, and it was great. Um, it, it was trying at times because there were an awful lot of 12 and even 16 hour days. And I'm talking more than you would think working for your parents, but no, I, I put in the hours. Um, it was not a cushy job by any means. Dad was a hard taskmaster. And dad had this theory that the company would not run like the computer system needed it to. The computer system would run like the company wanted it to. And yeah. so I had to, I had to jump through a lot of hoops, but that prepared me for my first real computer job. Um, I worked for mom and dad for 12 years, and then I moved on to the Christian Broadcasting Network, and I spent two and a half years there. It's a wonderful company. I came in as a junior programmer, but very quickly rose up. And in two and a half years, I not only um, became or got promoted to um, team lead, when I left, I was actually team lead on three different teams. I had three teams mm -hmm. of programmers answering to me. Um, the upside was I had some great people working with me. The downside was I was carrying three pagers because that was back in the day when you actually carried a pager. Kids, pagers were things that buzzed when people called you. So, um, <laughs> But I had three pagers because I had three teams. But I would not have been prepared for what it was like at CBN had I not put in the time and put in those hours working for mom and dad. I learned things like um, when I was working for mom and dad, we had two types of computer project, low budget and no budget. I learned how to make things and make do and to patch things and repair things because we just weren't, we didn't have the money to buy anything else. And when you get into a big company and all of a sudden you've got budgets and everything, they really appreciate the fact that, yeah, I don't want to spend the money on that. Let's, let's go build it, you know, or let, let's do without that because we can do it ourselves. So that's how working, for, working, working 12 years for my parents really prepared me for my first job as a real programmer. And yes, it was a slog. And I, 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 I would never, ever want to do that again. On the other hand, I would never trade that experience for anything in the world. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Um, my, well, I, I've gone through different journeys for, as a software engineer, so I'm trying to kind of figure out what I've, uh, where I've started at, but uh, probably the, the, the bottom line is my first jobs weren't really super exciting, and they weren't the best jobs in the world with fancy offices or anything like that, but I love them, and they gave me an opportunity that other people hadn't given 
and they treated me as someone who has potential and opportunity and this was something that they really respected there. And at first I was assembling computers and reinstalling windows and things like that, like I pretty much remember um, like almost serial numbers of motherboards and things like that just while, while doing all that jazz at the, the computer store. So this is kind of one of my first places and my first uh, development job was actually a continuation of a you know, software engineering bootcamp I went through and I already had some background. I had the books and I was trying to hack around at home. I had a group of nerds. We were exchanging information and we were sharing cash together for paid internet because, you know, it was dial up and this and that is expensive. So we were kind of pinpointing specific tips of advice you have to find online one way or another, download usually as TXTs or so, and then save on floppy disks and then everyone else is pretty much downloading this on their own PCs and, and then doing everything else. It was, it was good old times. Uh, most people won't really relate to that when they have you know, a smartphone and they can download everything they want off the internet now. But um, bottom line is really first jobs are important. Uh, almost everything works as a, as a first job as long as you know you don't have to deal with some ridiculous uh you know with an abusive boss with uh, problematic management with oh, yeah. uh, insane hours or anything else that kind of goes uh, out of the ordinary but just uh learning how to work is an incredibly important lesson and it also gives you the perspective that the rest of your career is going to take on and i've noticed that because uh, nowadays i run a company with about 45 people and counting and I have realized that there are different perceptions for people with a respectively similar background and half of them have worked a really horrible job, like probably a, a terrible uh, call center working with insane clients and so forth, while the other end probably interned at HP or IBM or some of the other large companies, but in a very good environment just with helpful people and supportive people and so forth. And the, the difference is dramatic. Those people just have a completely different perception of what work is in the first place. Yeah. So always keep that in mind whenever you're working with people or if you're starting a first job or so, people have different backstories that they have that they come up with and you need to respect them and understand them and then use this context to help you further. You know, you mentioned something, um, the, the, the bad boss. And um, I, I've seen a couple of these play out, but I wanna, I wanna describe one. Um, I knew of a young man and he was a graphic designer. And he, he got his, he, he did an internship at this company and um, he, he got introduced to this gentleman and this gentleman owned an agency, a small, a small web design agency. And he hired him, says, you know, you don't even need to finish your internship. So he, you know, the people that he was interning with, they were very nice. They said, yes, you have an opportunity to go work, go work. So he took off and he went for him. Well, it turns out that this was the typical agency founder type situation where, um, you know, if, if you're not showing up 30 minutes early and you're not working an hour late and you're not willing to work on weekends and stuff like that, then the boss actually verbally berates you in the office. And this young man lasted, to his credit, he lasted about a year and a half and he did not quit this job until A, he had been there a year because he wanted that year mark on his resume and B, he did not quit until he got something else lined up. He's got a, a wife, he has responsibilities, he has people depending on him. So he didn't just, yeah, I'm out of here. But he, you know, I, I talked with him throughout this entire process and throughout this entire process, he kept finding the good in it, you know? 
I'm learning this. Hey, today I did that. And he, um, he did a lot of, of unique work and he got a lot of experience that now that he's out of that and he's actually working for a, a large medical company that has infrastructure and people and budgets and things like that and expects him to go home on time and doesn't expect him to work on the weekends. And, you know, but he, the experience he got in that first job, as bad as it was, made him a apply his talents in areas that he would never have done so before but also he can now appreciate what he's got he can yeah. uh, he, he doesn't take this for granted because all it takes is remembering that year he spent in the agency and he's like nope you know as you know every now and then things don't go his way and he, you know he'll, he'll get a little sour about it and then he'll think back and he's like but you know it's nowhere near like it was so I'm, I'm, I'm happy, but I, I, you know, and working with this young man, it was, I was very proud that, he, you know, he's all, even in the bad times, he was always able to find the, um, the, the, the good in it and find something to be happy about. And that, that was really proud. Yeah. Wonderful. It's really hard. It's really hard to appreciate in a tough moment. And especially if this moment lasts, you know, forever, yeah. it's really hard to just find a driving force onwards. And sometimes, and to be honest, that's also especially valid even going through a tough period in a good company, right? I still remember the financial recession. It was devastating for you know, most of the world, but like even in good times like nowadays, companies have slow seasons. They have, you know, in seasons, uh, you know, it's tough. Probably some people are leaving because payroll cannot be, uh, you know, secured for pretty much everyone. In intensive seasons, the company cannot hire fast enough and they know that they have to squeeze a little bit more for a month or two, just gather some buffer in order to, let's say, uh, get some extra cash for Christmas bonuses or just be able to survive through the next, next slow season. So those ups and downs, they are really telling for how does one person appreciate the workspace in the first place. Because again, as you said, uh, this young individual has waited for the one year mark. And one year is, is enough to go through the traditional seasonal journey of going through ups and downs for a certain industry or a certain type of company. And like once you know that, you usually know what you're up against next year and the year after and the year after. And you know if you're ready to tackle the ups and downs of the company. And those you have enough context, you've met enough people, you've solved enough problems, you're already out of your kind of onboarding slash training process. So this is definitely something that gives you enough context. And then you can use this context kind of comparing it to the next environment you're applying at. Totally agree. Yeah, I'd like to contrast that though with uh, my daughter. <clears throat> now, my daughter's not in our industry. She is a costume designer. Uh, at a theater. She used to run a costume shop at a local uh, community theater. These days she works at a large um, theater over um, on the west coast of um, Florida. And, but she has a plan. And it, this fascinates me because I've always stumbled from job to job. It's like, hey, this looks fun. Let's do this for a while. That's how I got into developer relations was, sure, why not? <laughs> um, but um, Becky she, she started off managing a costume shop for a community theater and she understood and she learned how to do that. Well, she got to the point where she couldn't squeeze any more out of that job, any more knowledge, any more experience. So she moved on to this other job. Now, this other job was you know, a half step back because she's no longer in charge. But A, she's picking up invaluable skills. And B, when she took the job, she said, I'm only here three seasons. 
And mm -hmm. I think this will, this coming season, she just started, this is her third season. She'll start looking for another job because mm -hmm. she knows this is not what she wants to do. This is a stepping stone. And I, yeah. I really admire people that can think long-term and say, I'm going to take this job, not because it's my ideal job, but because it's, it's going to help me get where I want to go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's really hard to think bigger picture, especially if you're young and, yeah. and, even if you're not, I mean, at some point in time, you're either young and you want things to just happen faster and faster, or you're already thinking about kids and family and settling and mortgages. And I mean, essentially any point of time, it's really hard to just, uh, just uh, you know, yeah. invest in your future. That, that's what it is about. And I just had an interview like three hours ago and uh, the girl essentially said an interesting story. She, she was previously a lead manager for a very large uh, uh, chain of supermarkets, right? They have a very large chain. She started as a pretty much grunt employee. And in three years, she was, uh, you know, supervising manager of one or two of those superstores, which is, to be honest, it's admirable. It's like, imagine managing multiple, I don't know, McDonald's or so spaces, but like just having a harder time uh, jumping in. And she said, I was, this was something that helped me acquire specific skills, learn new things, manage people, uh, look at reports and, and spreadsheets and this and that and doing recruitment. It was very educational, but I knew from day one that I was looking for uh, kind of growth in the digital space. And the drawback is that the entire business is almost entirely offline. They, their website was probably built in 2003 and they don't even have any type of product catalog or something like that. Even if they are extremely large, they probably employ, I don't know, maybe at least 500, maybe over a thousand people. I may be over exaggerating, but at least 500 people, they don't even have a website. You know what I'm saying? So she was knowledgeable enough and she was smart enough to invest in the long term, save some cash along the way because she knew she had to keep on learning more and taking on digital courses and so forth in order for that to be the stepping stone for uh, her next job. Yeah. Now, when you're looking for a job, and this is especially true when you're, when you're brand new um, in, in IT, you, you got to know what you're looking for. I mean, if you're going to take a job, are you taking the job just for the paycheck? Are you taking the job because the projects are interesting? Do you want a mentor? And this company has a great mentor. I applied for a job recently at a, I won't say uh, the company, but the, um, it, it's a very large and well-known Linux distro. And the sole reason I applied for this job was the manager was someone that I really wanted to work for. And um, because I thought I, there's, she's got a lot she could teach me. And I'm at that age where, you know, I don't have to worry, is this going to look good on my resume? You know, because most <laughs> people don't look at my resume anymore. But yeah. this was one that I wanted because I wanted to work for this one person. And uh, because I, th I, I seriously thought I could um, just, just pull a lot out of her. Um, yeah. It did not work out, but that's neither her, her fault nor mine. It was just a, an issue of bad timing. Um, but you've got to go in knowing what you're looking for in a job. Otherwise, you're going to find yourself moving from mediocre job to mediocre job. You're never truly going to reach your full potential. And that's extremely important because in different stages of life, people look for different people. And this is one of the leading misalignments of lower retention rates on the market because at some point, let, let's say kind of a traditional journey, like you have a junior, they need to get any job they can. 
So they have secured a job and they have a job, but it's usually a job that comes with lots of compromises. It's not a great job. It's a low paying job, probably staying overnight or like 12 hour work shift. So they are looking for a way to get out of this job. Like they're happy about it. They have to work for a while to probably get some cash and so forth. But this is a stepping stone to something else. Then they get a job in an industry. They are interested in working, say digital or legal or probably medical. I, I know a lot of medical students who work in, say, McDonald's or KFC or so because, you know, it takes 10 plus years to become a doctor mm-hmm. and you still have to pay your debt. So you're probably a waiter or something like that for at least a decade before you become a doctor because that's how the system works. And, you know, this is a stepping stone job, but if you find a job of that type, you're willing to just learn and learn and learn and be mentored and whatnot for a while. And then one of two things happen. You either start in a very small company that you, it, it only takes a year to, to, to learn everything about it and to stop your career growth. You know, just say, there's no opportunity to become chief of product or I mean, even a team leader in five years or so, all the positions are booked. We're not growing fast enough. You're going to be a mid-level, then a senior developer, you know, in a couple of years. But that's pretty much it. And the difference isn't really that, that large. Uh, so you're either limiting your kind of requirements or you may potentially be looking for a very well-paying job. Yeah. And some people look for that throughout their entire career. I know some of those people, they, they're always saying, highest paying job wins. I expect job to be crap. I'm going to struggle all my life. I just need to be living outside of my working hours. I've never understood that myself. Never have I ever. Like wasting 40, 50 hours a week on struggling just to be able to, I don't know, get a new car or so. After hours, this doesn't make sense. I'd rather not struggle throughout my week and then, you know, just have a very nice lifetime. But I'm not judging, you know. I'm just, that's not something that kind of clicks with me. But Case in point is, you know, people always go through a financial stage anyways. And if this company cannot provide that, they may be going for the money. So as you said, Kyle, people have to decide what is the long-term roadmap, what are the most important things they look for, and then break them down kind of into stages of what needs to happen so that they either stay at the same company for five, 10 years, or again, what are the stepping stones? What stages they should go through in order to get to this point and find the right job for them. Yeah, absolutely. Knowing is cool. Sharing knowledge is even cooler. In my book, Uncle Cal's Career Advice for Developers, I share with you five of the most important pieces of career advice I've learned. Get your copy today by pointing a browser at bit.ly slash Uncle Cal. I want to share this knowledge with you. In my career, I've had more than my share of jobs. And over the time, I've really come up with five or six rules that I try to apply. And these are things that I know now and I kind of wish I would known back when I first started job hunting. So I'm gonna share a few of these and uh, feel free to jump in and share your own. But one of my favorites is always be moving forward. If you can't move forward, at least move sideways. But if you're gonna take a step back in your career, if you're gonna take a pay cut or you can take a, um, a position cut, know why you're doing it. There are valid reasons to do this, but know why you're doing it. Because if you just accept it and say, yeah, okay, 
you're going to be unhappy and you're not going to um, have a good time at that one, at that position. And you know, when we talked about interview do's and don'ts, we talked about um, salary a little bit. If you're going to interview for a job, you should know before you walk in what that job pays on a national scale, what that job pays regionally, and even if you can, what, pay, what it pays locally. And tools like, um, what is it, indeed.com, they'll help you figure this stuff out. You, know, you can pretty much accurately predict what you, the average for that position. So you need to know that and you need to know your number. And if your number's not within that range, you either need to be able to make a convincing argument why you're worth it, or you need to be, you know, understand that you're probably not going to, to, to get the job. But you got to know all this going in. If you, if you go in prepared, you're much better off than if you just go in blind. Absolutely. And also the question of, yeah, I don't know what I'm asking for, but, but how much are you going to offer? I mean, no, normally business doesn't work like this, so it's, it, it comes off odd. I actually had that question asked last night. And I mean, at least the, the, you know, the girl who had the courtesy to say, I don't understand that type of job. It's weird. It's in a different space. So I know it's usually the other way around, but I just need that to move forward. So I kind of gave her a, a rough overview of that, but you know, normally business doesn't work like this and it's just an odd uh, question to ask. Yeah. And you need to know not only what the salary pays, you need to know what your number is, but because this is going to be a negotiation, you need to know what your floor is. You need to know what... What point, at what point you say, I've got to walk away from this. You can't, you yeah. can't afford to take this job. Because I've had some great jobs. Uh, there was, when I was, um, when we, right after we moved to Jupiter, Florida, which is about two and a half hours away from Orlando, where Disney is, um, I, I saw a job come across my desk, and it said uh, free annual pass to Disney World was one of the perks of the job. They gave you that. And I'm like, hey, that's, that's a wonderful perk but you didn't tell me the salary. And if that perk, uh, that perk's only worth a little bit to me, if I can't afford to take the job, then any discussion we have is wasting my time. So know what your number is, but also know what your floor is, at which point you say, I'm going to walk away. Absolutely. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, I'm going to probably, uh, you know, take one of yours and just say, Really, burning bridges is something that you should never, ever want to, to go through yeah. because it's really, it's, it's really something that you definitely don't want to do. And I'm going to give an example, um, uh, like just uh, how much, like just a week ago, we had someone who had worked with us up until three years ago, and he had started back with us. And this is probably the, the fifth or sixth people who's taking their second um, you know, second round at our company because they, you know, they reached some sort of limitation one way or another, or they found another opportunity, whatever it is. They tried, they spent some time, probably tried another place, and they, they uh, you know, they get back to us. And I, this is something that's really important for us. And this is something that we really do love because it's a testament of our working culture and style and so forth. It's easy to get. Uh, I'm not going to say food, but tempted by other opportunities and promises and so forth. There's nothing wrong in also understanding how the rest of the world works, different processes, bosses, managers, working hours, uh, you know, sprints or whatever it is. Uh, but yeah, burning bridges may be dangerous because like I said, we have multiple people who have gotten back to us <coughs> for a second time. And yeah, had we burned bridges back in the day, this definitely wouldn't have been a possibility for either party. 
Yeah, and that's not just going back to the same company. Um, I'm talking about don't burn bridges like recruiters or community members, especially community members, because the tech community may seem huge, but it's really not that big. And what can happen is if you burn a bridge two or three years down the road, you see the perfect job opportunity. You know you can nail this. And you email this person and says, I'd like to apply for this. And it comes back as the person that you burned their bridge or you trashed them in the community or whatever two or three years ago. And at that point, you're, you're pretty much dead in the water. You know, mm -hmm. um, and I, I, I am the world's worst. I, I mock recruiters mercilessly. I've got maybe three recruiters that I'll talk to on a serious basis. That's because they've earned my respect. The rest of them are just absolute jokes. The problem with that is you may need one of those jokes one day because they might be have the intro to the right company. So don't burn bridges out of, you know, just, just I mean, my, my problem is I'm too nice to everybody, okay? There are some PHP community members I absolutely cannot stand. You know who you are. But <laughs> I would never go on camera or even at a conference and, and, and trash them. Number one, it's just not my nature. I, I, I'm, I'm a nice guy. But number two, I might need them one day. And as much as I might dislike their actions and stuff, if they're useful to me, I need to keep them around. So um, th this is the number one thing I see. Um, on your way out the door, you pull the pin on a grenade and you toss the grenade. You write that blog post telling people how horrible it was to work at this company and stuff like that. That does not look good on you. Don't do that. Keep your mouth shut, even if it's a bad situation. Move on. You've learned a lesson. You got your paycheck. Move on, find something new and be happy with your new position. Indeed. Um, yeah, my, my next one, I just had a couple more items because I deemed them important. What are the growth options in the company? Oh, yeah. So once you're starting a job, know what are the opportunities for you to just move up the scale. As you said, uh, always move in some direction, be it sideways, be it forward. Just you need to progress over time. That's extremely important. So just asking and knowing what are the opportunities in that company would give you a leeway to figure out what you need to do in order to move in some of those positions or what are the possible type of jobs, promotions, uh, ways to just kind of improve upon at your job. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, next, next one that I've got um, is what are your no-nos? Oh, yeah, what are the things that you literally cannot stand in a company? Now, we had an interview with, a, with an incredible project manager that just started a month ago and she's already impressing us big time. Um, at, the, at the job interview, she said, I want to figure out, I want to understand, it's important for me, how are you taking critical feedback? And, you know, best case, I would be talking to like a couple of your people just, just hearing that firsthand. So she was burned out by a previous job and kind of a previous job, they just didn't tolerate feedback. They weren't acting upon feedback or they were escalating. So it was kind of more like, well, not necessarily a toxic environment, but just, you know, environment that was just going this way and just never progressing further, right? So she was very upfront for her no-nos and we were very reassuring that everything was fine. And like just a week or two after she said, well, I'm really impressed by the way you handle conflicts at meetings and just you know, not escalating and causing whatever it is. So it is, important for you to know what are the no-nos, whether you disclose them at first or not, 
It's kind of up to you. I would always suggest to disclose everything, but at the first jobs, first and probably second job, maybe trickier simply because you don't have the track record yet and you're still looking for a job, not having recruiters headhunting you at all times, but regardless, definitely know your nose. Well, and that goes to cultural fit. Um, cultural fit is not, do you look like everybody else or do you um, think like everybody else? Is Cultural fit is, are you going to be able to thrive in this company? And if you don't know what you won't accept, then you can't say this is a good company for me or not. And, and you know, I, I don't mean, um, you know, I won't accept a toxic environment. There are things that if I look at it, I know that this is not going to be a company I am going to be comfortable in. And it's not a fault of the company. This is the way the company is and they're doing a good job. It's just not good for me personally. So it's best if I avoid those. I've taken jobs in companies like those. I'm speaking from experience. It's miserable. So you're right. Know what you will accept and know what, you're, what you don't want out of a company. Want to take my next one? Oh, sure. This is actually my favorite. I'm glad you gave me this one. Um, <laughs> this is my favorite new interview question because I'm a firm believer that when they come to you and say, well, do you have any questions? Well, I've already done my research on the company and chances are good that I already know somebody working in your company. So I know what it's like on the inside. Okay. <laughs> You're not going to tell me anything new, but the thing you can tell me, the thing I love asking in every job interview is what does success look like in this position? And you've got, uh, what does it take to be successful in the, in the long run? So ask, they'll tell you, you know, if they can't tell you, that's a, that's a little bit of a red flag, you know, that, well, I don't know, you know, write good code, get along with it. No, 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 no. What does it take? What are you looking for in this position? Because the hiring manager has something in their mind. They know what they're looking for. And if they, if you ask them nine times out of 10, they will express this and they will tell you, and at that point, it either A, doesn't sound like something you want to do, or B, it does sound like something you can do. And the fact that you asked this question tells them you're thinking long-term, not short-term in this position. Yeah, definitely. Couldn't agree more. Um, there are specific flags, even, and kind of the main problem is most job offers or job descriptions, they, they try to outline it one way or another, but you can't tell if they're true or it's just one of those buzzwords in, in CVs. Yeah. We have that problem. We are a very dynamic company. You know, we are an agency, but we also do kind of support and business consulting. So it's a really messy thing here. So it is a dynamic environment. And we write that in different flavors in job descriptions and so forth. But kind of one of the first thing we tell candidates is, look, we are not just one of those companies saying dynamic environment as a buzzword. It is true. You know, if you're bored out of another job, if you have 17 different hobbies and you just want to merge them into one and, you know, Chris or whatever it is, then you're more than welcome here. But yeah, just, just on the front notice, remember it here. It is busy. I have lots of growth opportunities and yada, yada. But this is something, this is part of our culture. This is part of the way we thrive. So just keep it in mind because, yeah. So this is in terms of uh, long run, definitely ask away. Uh, ask internally probably if you know someone because, Oftentimes, this is the case, ask internally how they started, like what do they do for a living, like what do they believe is important for the company and how they progressed over time. Yeah. And my last tip of advice is uh, try to figure out what opportunities are being unlocked at a later phase. Now, you can, as you know, any, a company cannot trust a junior or an intern, like even a new employee with 
pretty much anything until they have proven themselves. Mm -hmm. It may sound harsh, but you know, everyone looks great on a CV, but until you start working, until you start grinding within the company, until you start uh, you know, just arguing with some people in the company, you can't figure out who's really passionate about the job and ready to grind and ready to thrive and, and kind of backing the interests of the company one way or another, or the values of the culture, whatever it is. So for you, what really matters is, okay, I understand that I have to work long and hard, um, I have to, you know, learn a lot about the company and spend some extra time just catching up with processes and people and culture and tools and yada, yada, yada. But contingent on me staying for, you know, two years, three years and so forth, what opportunities would be available for me to stay in this company and not move elsewhere? Mm -hmm. Could be parental leave that's longer. This is, this may be extremely important for you, right? Uh, could be extra time, so just days off for you to, I don't know, work, uh, well, I don't know, travel somewhere else. Could be remote working days, could be something else. You know, there are different opportunities, but, but let's say talk to a company, see what other opportunities are available. Keep that in mind. If that sounds nice and the company sounds good, uh, this may be a worthwhile moment to just write this down and to remind them, the HR manager, a year after and say, hey, I remember what you told me, this, this, this. So I'm still looking forward to those. No risks, but the sooner the better. <laughs> yeah, but the other side of that coin is um, in, your, in your interview as a junior developer, don't start off with, well, can I work remote? Because oh, yeah, 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 that, yeah. I had a, um, we did one of our very first day camp for developers was on telecommuting. And I had four wonderful developers that were um, working remote in their job and they gave great advice on how to do it. But my fifth guest was a manager that didn't have a single remote worker. And I said, okay, as a manager, what is the, what's the other side of this that you want people to know? And his advice was, if you walk in and sit down in the interview and say, so can I work remote? Your chances are really good. You're just not going to get the job. Don't, yeah, seem, yeah. don't seem greedy about this stuff. Um, if they bring it up, you know, yes, make sure you make a note of that. So if it's not written in the handbook or in, the, uh, in your uh, agreement, if it's not there, then, you know, make sure you, you, you bring it up at your annual reviews and, and, and appropriate places and say, I, you know, when, when can we discuss this uh, after you've proven yourself? But you have to prove yourself before you can um, get to that next level. Absolutely. And I believe this is a wonderful wrap up. Thanks again for listening or watching if you're on YouTube. Please uh, jump in, rate, subscribe, review if you have any thoughts. We are always welcome and open to new topic ideas. We are on Twitter, NoBS Engineering and also NoBSEngineering.com. Always open to new topics and new threads. So definitely help us help you. Let us know what are the, the, the deepest secrets you want to unleash and uh, reveal throughout this podcast and Kyle and I would be more than happy to share this with you. So uh, don't be a stranger. If you meet us at conference or so forth, also tell us hi, we'll be more than happy to also take some photos with you or make some recordings and probably even share them in, at the podcast in interviews as well. And stay tuned for the next episode. Yep. Hey, thanks everybody. Talk to you next week. Bye-bye.